As, uh, as Betsy comes forward to read the scripture this morning, notice that this is a story, a set of stories, really, about two things that I think can happen to some of us. Uh, one is about paralysis, and the other is about healing. And Jesus comes to us in a variety of ways, in a variety of forms, to help us understand what our role may be in the midst of things like this. I'm reading from Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 31. One day, while he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting nearby. They had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Just then, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a bed. They were trying to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. Then the scribes and Pharisees began to question, Who is this who is speaking blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their questionings, he answered them, Why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Stand up and walk? But so that you might know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the one who was paralyzed, I say to you, Stand up and take your bed and go to your home. Immediately he stood up before them, took what he had been lying on, and went to his home, glorifying God. Amazement seized all of them, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen some strange things today. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he got up and left everything and followed him. Then Levi gave a great banquet for him in his house, and there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others sitting at the table with them. The Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered, Those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick do. Holy wisdom, holy word. I want to thank Laura for finding my notebook. Let's close in prayer. Last week, I just want to remind you that I talked, um, introduced this series on what it means to be a healthy family. And I, I will say again that at first service, Roger talked about that. And here you had two scriptures, really a scripture, two stories, one of which said that a group of friends would do anything to place their friend before the one who could heal them and tore apart a roof in order to get that friend in front of that person. Then it talked about a tax collector, the most hated Jew on the planet for most Jews. 
And yet Jesus chose him and opened a way for him to come to him. Roger would say that both of those elements would define his life. And that's what he shared with us this morning at first service. That there were those among this group, and he named some, who basically tore apart the roof in order to make an opening for Roger Ingalls to become a part of this body. And even, he said, even someone like me, and I just thought, Roger is not Levi. Roger may have struggled with some things or been uh, uh, an atheist, but for heaven's sake, and literally for heaven's sake, he has found a place in this church and now serves in ways unlike anyone else. What was interesting, he also shared this morning that if you think about it, he is one of the most consistent active members of this church. He is here every single Sunday, and particularly serving a population at first service whose average attendance is about twice a month, and sometimes if that, because they're so active with their children and families and other things. And yet here he is, standing before us now, stepping into this role as worship leader, replacing Nick in that role, and he's doing it exquisitely well. And he is deeply deeply humbled by stepping into that role. And he said, only because of the way that this family, Aldersgate United Methodist Church, functions, is he able to be here serving the way he serves, in the way he serves. And something has happened in his life, a transformational experience that has changed his life and allowed him to think about Christ differently. And the first song that they sang this morning was, They'll Know We Are Christians by Our Love. And that was the transformational piece for him in this family. And you'll see pictures that scroll through about the love of this family, not only for each other, but for others. Last week I talked about what are the definitions of family. And now as we explore this Sunday, what that means in a church. And it's always dangerous to talk about the church as family because there are those of us who grew up in families that were not overly functional. And again, Roger talked a lot about that this morning and gave us the history of his family. And I will tell you, not only was it not functional, it was abusive. And so to talk about family for someone like him is overwhelming. And yet here we are, and he was able to identify you, us, as family. I want to go through this again, these five definitions. And then I want to ask you in similar ways the questions that I asked you last week about what is family. Family is a fundamental social group in society, typically typically consisting of at least one parent, God, at the church anyway, and offspring, us. I think we fit that description, don't we, as a church? Number two, two or more people who share goals and values. I think to a great extent we share the same goals and values. We sometimes express them in different ways, but I think overall our values and our mission and our focus is the same. Becoming and being a vibrant, inclusive Christian community, growing 
in faith, love, health, and service. And I just shared some of that in the new membership class between services. Number three, a group of related individuals who have commitments to one another and who often reside in the same place. Well, we're related to each other by the one that we seek to follow, are we not, in that God who is our parent? And we follow Jesus as our brother, as the son of our parent. We're talked about as God's children. I do believe that we are committed to one another. Of that, I mean, there's just no question. The plus for us is that we continue to grow simply by expanding our relationship to those around us, particularly if we see our role in the world as not just locating here, but going beyond these doors and inviting others to become a part of this family of faith. Number four, a family includes all the members of a household. That's kind of what this table is about. Part of what defines a family is joining together around meals, sharing history and sharing concerns and and sharing joys, sharing accomplishments. And it's that breakfast table or that dinner table that often unites us as a family, and so it goes with this table this morning. And finally, number five, a family is a group of individuals sharing the same ancestry. Ours is with God and Christ. We are a family in the best sense of the word, but might there be things that we can do to help each other become better in this family of faith? And let me, as I did last week, very similar questions. Ask us these questions. When was the last time we sat down and set specific goals together? Goals that included deepening our relationships, sharing our hopes and dreams with each other, of what we could become together and become for others, and how, as Roger shared this morning, invite others to come and be a part of this family. Number two, when was the last time we intentionally got help with our relationship? Or were intentional about strengthening the relationships in this body? Number three, when was the last time we studied something together, something that could even help our relationship? Number four, when was the last family meeting just to check in to see how everyone is doing or to celebrate something we accomplished together? Well, guess what? A week from Monday, we're going to party. And we're going to party hardy. And we're going to have cake. And we're going to have celebrations. And we're going to share stories. And we're going to offer blessings. And we're going to come together as a family because we've created a new central location for us. Remodeled now is our kitchen. I love this next one. Number five, as a church, do we assume that our children know our hopes for them, our expectations of them, or even the rules of the house? Do they believe that they can make a difference in the life of someone else? And I will tell you again that at the end of this month, now that we're in May, will be an opportunity to do just that at Lazy F Camp and Retreat Center where we're coming together as a mini mission trip and an all-church retreat. And part of what we're going to do is do some things that are going to help make a difference in the lives of others. And many of our confirmands will be there working alongside others. It's multi-generational and it's an opportunity for all of us to share in this family and work together to benefit others, some of those in significant need. Number six, 
Do the children and youth of this church have specific roles and responsibilities that will make this a better family? And number seven, in the midst of that, have we as a church family helped them in gaining confidence in those expectations? Not everyone is born knowing how to make a difference in someone else's life. This morning, you're going to see a few of them help serve communion. I want you to look at that back wall again. And I want you to imagine 15 of those kids out there praying for each other and tying knots in those prayer squares. Again, saying prayers. And by the way, they also pray for you. And what I've demanded of them, and Gwen is the perfect example who could tell you some of this, is not easy. Some of the tasks that they've undertaken are are really, truly phenomenal. I wish you could have sat around with us last Sunday night and heard their responses to what a hero is and what the saving of a life means. And it was incredible. It was incredible. Sam is here this morning as well. I could share share with you some of those stories. Number eight. When was the last time we simply had dinner together with no agenda, but to check in or set family goals or sought to attend and support our children in their sports, their academics, their music, or other endeavors. That's what families do. I know that Cora and Dorothy went to Les Mis last night at at Newport High School and found out from Claire this morning, Roger's daughter, that there is a young woman who just, in that cast, who just lost a beloved person in their lives. And that whole cast surrounded them, and now we surround them as well in prayer. I love this. Number nine. Last time we argued or fought or disagreed. Well, wait a minute. This is a church. We don't ever do that. Last time we argued or fought or disagreed, did the children see us intentionally move toward an accomplished resolution? or find peace in whatever was at the center of the argument. And number 10, when was the last time they heard any of us say to each other, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and no, we meant it. I want to ask this question as profoundly influential as I was writing this. Are our children proud of us? Are our children proud of us as a church? How do we know? And when was the last time we told them that we were proud of them for something real and something significant? Just a couple more. I love this one too. When was the last time our children saw us fully relaxed? I want you to think about that for a second. It was fun uh, watching uh, a little bit of the Mariners game last night and seeing a certain family sitting in the front row on the third base side, smiling, laughing, and just enjoying each other's company. And they were they're members of this church. And every time the camera panned, particularly when somebody was batting left-handed, they were in the back, smiling and laughing, and thinking, "That's family. That's family." When was the last time our children saw us fully relaxed, especially in a time where they were a part of it, or saw us having fun together, laughing, joking, or playing? By the way, we have an all-church picnic coming up, and I'm hoping to have, you know, the bag races, balloon tosses, so that we can all have fun together. 
Finally, do our children know exactly where we stand on things like drug use or alcohol use or marijuana use or porn use or homelessness or politics or schoolwork or education or relationships or sex or even nutrition? Do we assume they know? Or have we taught clearly about where we stand and our expectations of them around any of these things? It's not just about children, friends. I get that. It's about relationships that we have with each other and those that are around us. But we do have a role in the midst of all of that as a family of faith. Of that, there is no question. But here's the deal. As I said around families last week, the same can be said for us as a church. Relationships take work. If they are not being nurtured, they are sliding backwards. Every relationship, no matter whether it's as a parent or as a child, as a church, as leaders, as followers, as anything, every relationship takes work. And if we are not intentional about deepening those relationships and moving those relationships forward, those relationships will have a tendency to backslide and to some extent become challenged and even fall apart. I want to close with just a couple thoughts this morning before we move toward communion. You know, I keep looking, and Brant is sitting here this morning too, I, I just keep looking at what is causing decline in all too many of our churches. And now we're selling some of the properties of some of our, our, our churches that have just lost people. And I keep wondering, and I keep going back to some of these questions and, and some of the comments about family, and again, what I heard from Roger this morning. And I think in many of those churches, what's happened is we've confused institutional church with ministry. And I will tell you as a pastor, and as one of the leaders and servers in this family of faith, that I was called to ministry not to the institutional church. Ministry is different. The institutional church is around committees and making sure that the lights are on and the doors are open and making sure that everyone kind of has a role to make sure the institutional church continues. Institutional church can have a tendency to be self-protecting and, and, and ingrown and inwardly focused. When without exception, in almost every case, it's ministry that goes outward. Ministry is what helps us look. We come in, and my hope is that as we worship together, we get inspired and our eyes are opened like Paul's. The scales fall and we're able to see through God's eyes those ministerial opportunities that surround us. We live in an incredibly wealthy area where most of our families are very, very secure. And one of the struggles that I've had is, is in, in being serving as now your lead pastor is trying to figure out where do we engage fully as a full body, as a church in this community because there's, the needs are not as obvious. I've got to share with you that, that in my pastoral career, my hope has always been that what we do is we, we are able to identify the most disenfranchised, those who have little, 
and we respond to them as the hands and feet of Christ. I remember gang kids, violent kids on the hilltop in Tacoma and playing football with them and three concussions later, which explains a lot about me. (laughs) Continually battling a church to support that as a ministry and they couldn't get around the fact that it was too risky because they wanted to protect that church. I remember in Sunnyside, and I've shared this before, seven Latino gangs. First four funerals, execution-style shootings, one bullet in the back of a head of these kids. They were 14 and 15 years old. And nobody was being in ministry with them. Everyone was judging them. And as we turned and decided that that was a ministry, we lost half the members of that church. Half the members of that church. One person, and I've shared, said to me, if God wanted us to have gang members in the church, he would have told us when we built it. (laughs) You know, it's at that point that you drop the microphone. That's institutional. That's self-protecting. But what happened is that church grew fourfold in the next three years as the only church of 43 churches in a community of 13,500 people that was reaching out to these gang kids. And that last Sunday, and I've shared it again, it just it was incredible watching the chief of police and his family sit with Hector Ramirez, the head of the largest Latino gang in that community, sitting with his family and these two, Ed and Hector, sitting together, praying together, weeping together on our last Sunday there. That's what ministry can do. The abuses we saw in Auburn and the growth of the gangs and the church's response to that. And I I can go on. The homelessness in Santa Monica, 19,000 homeless in a community of 96,000. Cell phones and... (laughs) No, it's okay. There's a difference, friends. And I, I keep wondering, what is the purpose of this or any other church if it is not to have a singular focus, singular focus on opening the doors and offering ministry and more than anything else that we could possibly do as a gift to our children is that. Is that. As we come to this table this morning, as we come for communion this morning, think about what this means for each of us. And here's the other deal that I want to share with you. It it often sounds like somehow I'm criticizing you in the midst of this, and I I want you to, to understand that is not what I'm doing. What I'm trying to do is challenge us to go even deeper. I have never seen a church do the kind of outreach ministry that this church does, and not just in this community, but throughout the world. I shared with the new member class this morning about Grace Boarding House in Thailand. I shared about the Pastor's Discretionary Fund and that you gave $55,000 last year to that fund. And I can give you the list of the folks who felt the influence of that ministry. And you changed their lives. But let's continue and think about those questions I asked as we approach this table 
and recommit our lives to communion, to community, to ministry. Do you hear that?